0: This is the Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hague.
1: In one year, he wrote 25 novels. 25 novels in one year. How the hell did he do it? Every time he slept with a woman, he was he was still alive. I ask you, gentlemen of
0: the jury, is this the kind of book you'd like your wives and servants to read? If I say Jean Simonon, you will say Inspector Maigret. Of course you will. Uh, now a few years ago I hadn't read any Simonon and then I thought I'd give him a go so I picked up a paperback and I was promptly hooked. Now with characteristic good timing Barry Forshaw has produced a handy little volume for the the dabbler in Simonon and he's with us now Barry thank you for joining us again on the P- Books podcast.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Well now I say dabbling and with any other author if I'd read say oh I don't know say 10 books I might feel I had the measure of the man, but I really haven't scratched the
1: surface, have I? No, there's no way to... I mean, people did ask me, did I read all 500 novels before I read this book? I read at least half of them again, and seen all the films and all the television adaptations. It's Enjoying Georges Simonon is a lifetime's work.
0: Yeah, but it's a lifetime of pleasure, isn't
1: it? Well, it is, it is. He is, more than most crime writers, utterly reliable. There are are no duds. There are a few in which the creative flame is burning lower, but most of them are very reliable. Let's start with the statistics. Was he the most
0: prolific author ever?
1: He seems to have been in many ways, because there are several pseudonyms that we don't even know about. He was, and in one year he wrote 25 novels.
0: 25 novels in one year. How the hell did he do it? Well, because sometimes he could do it in two weeks or three weeks, could
1: not he? And this is before voice recognition software, unless he had a very good um, secretary who was writing. That's her Barbara, what's her name?
0: Oh, uh, Cartland.
1: Barbara Cartland. Yeah. She had a tame secretary and she would dictate all the books. But he's still incredibly prolific. Yes,
0: but they were subliterate.
1: They were indeed, yes. I was being kind and not mentioning (laughs) that.
0: (laughs) So, um, we've, we've said there are Maygrave. There are lots of other books as well. Let's just do some statistics. How many Maygrave books were there?
1: Mm, good question. That would be possibly 75. Is that a test? <laughs> oh, that's not a test. That's what that's what it says in
0: your book. Oh, right, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the other that's ones are. That's presupposing I've
1: there, read my own book, though, Tim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are, you, you also tell us there are 117 romans d'oeuvre, which is yes. to say proper novel, hard yeah, hard novels, hard but novel. the ones that he wanted to stand behind, yes. and easily 200 pot boilers. Yes, And, of course, there's all sorts of other writing. Um the that's, that's an amazing, an amazing uh, output. Uh, and he did actually stop at one time, didn't he? He he, he retired, even though yes. he lived to uh, 86 or something.
1: Well, he didn't seem to have what both Chandler and Fleming, when they got together, would say, how the hell do we kill off this guy? How the hell do we kill off Marlowe or Bond? Mm. And then they remember <laughs> the Conan Doyle lesson. What happens to you when you kill off your cash cow character, but it doesn't appear that Simenon tired of him, but he did think that his best work was in the dure. And of
0: course, well, Chandler only wrote, what, six six novels, That's all, yes. In fact,
1: if I were doing a mastermind, I'd set, certainly do Chandler rather than Simenon. <laughs> Much easier just to read six or seven novels.
0: Your book is not, strictly speaking, a biography. It's a different kind of book. What, what, what then is it?
1: It's a collage. I realised I was going to do a collage approach because... There are all the films, there are all the books, there's the translators, there, there is the personal life, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about, and all of that. I thought, well, if I put all that in chronologically, it would become a, and then he wrote. Uh, so I thought the best thing was to deal with the books separately deal with the film separately
0: and you have a section on and it's not all of the books it's not no. <laughs> but um all the important ones and dozens and dozens and dozens of them where there's little, it tells you a little bit about them what what it's about and a little potted paragraph of so which is a really useful checklist because here's one of the things it uh, quite difficult for the casual reader isn't it because yes. um you can lose track of which ones you've read well you you've you you've put the nail you hit the nail on the head there a lot of people
1: say to me. I don't quite get Simenon, I've read them and they're, they're okay, they're very professionally written. I think the answer to that is, you need to read a great chunk of them, you need to read them en masse and then you get Simenon. If you read Just the Big Sleep, you get Chandler, if you read Casino Rail, you get Fleming, but with Simenon, it's it's an accretion that comes the more of his books you read.
0: And that's because they're, they're not little sort of puzzle boxes, are they? They're not, they're not a, a straightforward uh, kind of a, a crime thing with a, with a locked room or a poisons or a... They're not Sherlock Holmesy. They're not solving a, a riddle.
1: No, and they're not Agatha Christie. So with Christie, when you're reading one again, you think, oh, it's that one. That's the revelation. And that's fine. She works well on that level. But because he's interested in character and human sympathy, that's the thing
0: that counts rather than plotting. The thing that everybody knows about Simonon's life <laughs> is that he claims to have slept with 10,000 women, mm-hmm. um, which is an incredible suggestion. His wife says that that was a wild exaggeration. it's only 1,200. But even that's a lot. I mean, it's more than me. <laughs> I imagine it's more than both of us put together. Um, is, do, we, how, do we give any credence to this? When When his son brought up the notion with me...
1: It was about the time, I don't know if you remember this, the English politician Nick Clegg announced that he'd slept with 30 women in his life. And he he got a bad press for that because it sounded like both Was it too
0: many or not enough?
1: (laughs) It was just the number. Why did we need to know that he slept with 30 women? And so 10,000 women is a whole different ballgame. And uh, I did say to his son... I'm not sure we really buy it because he was, as you said earlier, a very prolific writer.
0: How the hell did he have time? Well, one thing is the books are quite short for the most part. Mostly they're sort of thirty-five, forty thousand 40,000 words, aren't Mm -hmm. they? Um, Which is a shortish novel. They, I, th- I think they have enormous scope and scale. But yeah, yeah, there must have been some time in, in, in between that for, for sex. And, of course, a lot of them would have been prostitutes. He was yes. perfectly happy visiting prostitutes. A third prostitutes.
1: of them, I, b- I believe. I was told that he paid for it a third of the time. I don't know where that puts him on the moral scale, that a third of the time he paid for it. But, in <laughs> fact, two people told me about the whole scenario. One was his publisher, Christopher Sinclair Stevenson. He said that when he would go to see him in France, uh, the first part of the evening would be discussion of rights for the films, who'd been cast as Meg Ray in whatever country, that's the thing, he said. Then the rest of the evening, the wine would be poured and I had one job, Christopher said, to listen to his conquests of that week. He would, they would be along the lines of, I saw this young waitress and she clearly was up for it and so forth. And I said to Christopher, so what was your function? He said, my function was just to sit there and nod <laughs> approvingly. But he said, it's interesting, I said, well, it, it's not very admirable, is it? He said, well, I think with him, it wasn't like Michael Douglas's sex addiction. It was a kind of existential thing. Every time he slept with a woman, he was he was still alive. That might be a justification, but that, that's what he tells Yeah, That you. sounds a bit fresh. You, you don't buy it? that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds a bit fresh. You quote Christopher Sinclair Stevenson as saying that he was an immensely talented man, but not what he'd call a nice man. No, he appears not to be nice. And of course, we've got the controversy now over the
1: selling the books to the Vichy government and being essentially a, a collaborationist, which is why I had to go to America until things... Because they, made movies, they the made, the movie. made movies yes, out. The Nazis made movies out. Yes, indeed. And you could argue, I don't know, composers like Richard Strauss, who was master of the Reichsmusik, although he hated the Nazis, but does it matter that you privately object to the regime you're working for? What do, what do artists do in Russia at the moment? People like Shostakovich had to work for Stalin, although he privately disliked the regime. I don't know if it's, it's that easy with Simonon. Because maybe he could have left the country. A lot of a lot of people left France.
0: Well, the, I mean, he had very prejudices. It's not just his his sex life. He he was homophobic as well, wasn't he? Yes. He had uh, other prejudices. And I believe that Penguin are doing a, an edition, a new edition of all his books. Are they going to do a rolled doll on him <laughs> and and bowdlerize them? Well,
1: it's interesting. Josephine Greywood, who I quote in the book, is the editor of the the Penguin series. I had attempted to read one of them in French when several of them were only available in French, and my French is pretty woeful, but I got through them, and I noticed certain things. I noticed, for instance, a woman was described in the French as having a dark, Semitic appearance, and I said to Josephine, that's not what it says in your translation, and she said, I didn't. I said to the translators, don't censor it, so it wasn't Roald Dahl, if you can give it a slightly different emphasis, and then as she said, the word Semitic is not anti-Semitic, but it, it seems... It could get you into trouble these it days. It seems tricky these days. So maybe the... So the book... A
0: sensitivity reader these
1: days yeah, would, would, flag would flag it would it up. have it like like a shot. So it's not like... It isn't like Roald Dahl and Fleming, where there are essentially sanitised versions. It's not that at all. And they're very good. The new translations, people like Sean Reynolds, are very good. Not all better than the original Penguins. So,
0: like, I've got a collection over there, which is a mixture of the new ones. You've got lots. <laughs> I can see them all from here. I should... Point out, uh, Barry. You very kindly invited us into your flat to record this interview, and uh, we are surrounded on all four sides by books, which is <clears throat> makes me feel very much at home.
1: <laughs> you can see they would be read. <laughs> yeah, but uh, for me, you mentioned the Romandeur, I think they are his, his best work.
0: I was going to ask that uh, you, about your relationship, whether you were a maigre man on or a, a, a standalone, and you think the Romandeur are the ones too. Well,
1: there's one coming out shortly, Tim, which should be on your list to buy. Uh, the widow Kudek, and it's translated a- earlier just the widow. It's the book of which Camus said he would not have written *The Outsider* that uh, if he'd not read the Simonon book. It's about a man who commits a kind of strange, aimless crime, but the whole book b- builds toward it. Whereas *The Outsider* starts with the with the crime, and it's wonderfully written. It's bleak, it's existential, it's about sex, it's about Lots of things, much more ambitious than one of the Simonon Maigre books.
0: You've quoted Camus. Uh, you also quote Andre Gide, uh, uh, saying that uh, Simon was the greatest French novelist of our time. So, is, is he is he still worth our attention that much? He's the he's the biggest selling crime writer outside of the English language, mm-hmm. um, and and we'll talk about uh, Megre in a minute, but. Um, what, what is was he? <laughs> I want to ask. He he wanted to win the Nobel Prize. Should he have done?
1: Yes, well, he was very. He I think translating it into English, he said that asshole Camus won the prize. It should have been me. <laughs> so he certainly felt that he be, he, he deserved the, the, the top baubles coming his way, and he was very pleased about Gide saying that. I'm not sure it's true, but he's. Well, I can only say that when I interviewed the top crime writers in Sweden and Italy. Uh, people like Camilleri, Henning Mankell. When I interviewed them at home, they would point to their shelves where there would be, just like there, a complete set of Simenon. All the top crime writers I've met worshipped him, and yet they didn't
0: necessarily write like him. No, well, nobody did. This is. Oh, I'm going to go back to May Gray, because he, he's, he's very much a, a sort of anti-Sherlock Holmes. He's, he's, he's not like... Your modern cops—he's not an alcoholic or a maverick, is he? He's—he's he's, he's bourgeois. He's happily married. He's not especially rebellious. Why is he so compelling? It's quite interesting. I think a lot is to do with the uh, the
1: way. That's how often we mention Fleming in this uh, talk. He is like Fleming in the sense that Bond is everything Fleming wanted to be, but without the cancer. You can still have the lifestyle Ian Fleming has and still be James Bond. It didn't last very long in Fleming's case. Simenon appears not to have been a very nice man, but he gives this kind of sympathy that he seems to lack himself to his character. So like the American writer Ross MacDonald, the detective is a kind of therapist, is listening to people, is solving people's problems. There isn't the scene that you get in Poirot and Sherlock Holmes where everyone gathers around and everything is explicated go Well, them. it has
0: been said that uh, that Megrae is more psychologist than, yes. than sort of vengeful uh, investigator. Well,
1: he also has this interesting sympathy for the underdog, for prostitutes, for instance, who get an interesting ride in in kind of phrase in the books, which uh, they're always treated with sympathy by by um, Maigret, even though the girls don't trust him. Really, he ends up with scratches and assaults when he tries to be friendly, and that's unusual. That's also being written when Madame de Gaulle was trying to. Outlaw Do you think visiting
0: the brothels was all just research then. you
1: could read it that way
0: <laughs> so, well he, uh, you, you've got another quote that, uh, that in in the book the, the inspector does not so much chase clues as decipher tormented minds we we said he's he's kind of a psychologist, but the way the books work. Is also very different from from that sort of dogged following clues and then opening up the the, the, the box of tricks. Yes. It's um it's been suggested it's like it's like emerging through fog. I always think of it as like you know remember when they used to develop photographs and you'd put a uh, mm. a page into into a bath of, of chemicals and the the picture would the image sort of would become slowly sharp. emerge. Yes. Um, mm. I, I find the Magritte novels do that for me. There's never a point at which he goes and that is because I can show you this telegram proof. he never does that. No. It's In just fact, that-
1: it's closer to an influence on him which was dostoevsky so if you remember crime and punishment Pofiri, who is like colombo he just kind of doggedly mm-hmm. whirs away at things until finally okay you got me but there's never a big moment of revelation uh, and that's the kind of detective he is there isn't he doesn't really write police procedurals as we understand them today
0: and yet, if you go to Paris, you, you can go to where his office was, the thirty-six uh-huh. uh, Quai, de, uh, offrei, uh, Quai des Offres Quai des Offres thank you. Um, is is there on the Ile de la Cité, on the other, yes. on the other end from Notre Dame? And there are one hundred and forty-six steps. Um, it's it, it, it's all g- very grounded. It's not yes. posi- police procedural, but it's it's very physically grounded. It is indeed, and that that's one of the
1: elements that that works so so well in the book. Also, uh, so speaking of influences in a way he's slightly like hemingway that there aren't long descriptions with exotic filigrees of description it's basic it's it's cut down it's pared down but just enough to evoke paris or other parts of france
0: must make it very difficult to translate though because the 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 prose is incredibly spare Mm. in order to get all 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 of that into forty thousand words
1: well interesting you say that so i know personally quite a few of his translators one of whom i was a best man for many years ago so i've interviewed all of them as you said it's in the book they all approached it in a different way but apparently they were all taken to um, a chateau they tell me uh, josephine greywood took them all on holiday to france all the translators she'd then hired and they had a conference because there had to be unity to the books there couldn't be one translator whose style was utterly different from mm. the others
0: well yeah we can see, <laughs> i can see why it might be desirable to have all the translations in in, in a particular style, uh, and then that's that's one way of doing it. Get everybody together. There, it, Madame Simonon, though, had quite strong feelings about about what would happen to her husband's books as well. She was a bit of a, a bit of a what was she, what did you call her? Well, uh,
1: various animal kingdom denizens were were all with teeth. Yes, which various translators of the past would deal. with. They hated dealing with her. She was kind of like, a lot of authors have this. You will know this, Tim, because you dealt with so many authors. The spouse from hell. <laughs> so the spouse is allowed to do all the dirty work and the husband or the wife will say, sorry, Anna, what can I do? She's always like this. She was the one who would insist. She had a very curious insistence in terms of translation that it had to be as close to, to the original French as possible. But of course that's... How long is a piece of string? No, yeah, that's nonsense. It's, that's it's, not what translation yeah. is. But then she would just say, no, this is too far from what George wrote. Or oh, that's okay. Uh, certainly publishers found it difficult to deal with. Translators didn't. And now we have the current batch of translators for whom she's not around. But
0: um, she, he, he was still alive when she was doing this, although yes, she outlived yeah. him, didn't yes. she, by eight years, I think you say.
1: She was aware of the value of translation, which is fair enough. And I think only in recent years has translation become an art in itself. Uh, in the fact that translators are certain translators in Britain, writers abroad wait for them to be available, because they know they will get a really deluxe job on their book if they wait for certain translators.
0: Did did he make a big chunk of his money from translation?
1: Yes, well, he was a a canny businessman, so the translations, the films, the TV, in a way he, he monetized his or allowed people to monetize his, his product, which is fine.
0: Well, then let's talk about, uh, about uh, Megret on film, because that's quite an important thing. There have been a lot of screen presentations of uh, of uh, megre and so we're going to talk about some of them there's been a whole I, you've got a list of of movies of of the of the books and i read through it and i've i never seen any of these movies uh, they they seem to me to be very obscure That some of the television stuff i've seen of course um am i have i just not been paying attention
1: no you're right that's a lot of the really important it took me a while to track down charles lawton uh, doing him in the, on The Man on the Eiffel Tower. Now, you would think he'd be right, because May Gray is stocky. Yeah. Uh, Charles Lawton's stocky. Uh, Charles Lawton slightly...
0: was pudgy, though. You well, don't yes, think of yes, yes, May Gray as pudgy.
1: Right, you've got very specific ideas about his weight, but I <laughs> You're right. But um, it didn't work, because, in fact, Lawton, wonderful though he is, is always a, is a, an actor who's constantly drawing attention to himself, yeah. with actually tricks, bodily movements, the eyes narrow... Peter Cushing did the same. He knows how to use the body that keeps you mesmerised. That's not Maigre. Megrae has to be slightly more blank, so that you're almost
0: a, a stillness in the middle of, of the of the action because he's quite often just watching what happens. Or he'll, he'll, you know, his his action will be to go from his lodgings down to the, the cafe and have a, a drink, and then the plot will unfold around
1: him. Yes, in fact, uh, one of the best is Jean Gabin, which is available. So look out for those Gaban plays them almost in fact it's interesting he um several actors would apparently say that Seminon would always say to them you are my Maigre." you're my Maigre." he said it to Rupert Davis in this country uh, he said it to Jean Gabin so and Henning Mankel told me that when the various actors who played Volander or Wallander as he was called in this mm-hmm. country they, he would say to them all, oh, "You're my Wallander, You're oh, really? my Wallander. So it's just it's just good manners, maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe, although I, I think we, we take we give it some credence when it's Rupert Davis, don't we? Now I, I've never seen those. They they broadcast. I learned from your book between uh, 1960 and 1963, so it's slightly before my time. Although I, I, I saw on I it was forces TV or one of those stations right, round right at the bottom of the list where it would doing them now which is good news Um, but uh, 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 Simonon liked Rupert Davis yes
1: he did appear to like him and it was very good when you look at them again Network the DVD company has issued the whole lot Uh, it's interesting that you will see constant shots of Rupert Davis walking down the the Rue de la Paix or whatever those pickup shots were filmed specially Rupert Davis would go over and film a few shots walking everything else nice work if you can get it nice work if you can get it but it's, it's shot in L Street all the interiors are all shot in England. And you have that curious thing with all of these things now, is that when place names come up, everybody's speaking English, but they have to s- pronounce that. It's very tricky. Qui Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that suddenly appears in the sentence. But they don't say, as American films used to do, I think he's at the Arch of Triumph. They yeah. don't do that, because that, <laughs> that really doesn't work at all. It's a, it's a, at the nearest that got to solving it was my favourite TV, May which is Michael Gambon.
0: Well, which was filmed in, in Hungary, in yes, Budapest. Yes. <laughs> which, as, not Elstree, but it's still yeah, not Paris.
1: Exactly, as so many things are. That seems to be a, <laughs> that seems to be a city that will do and for 19th century London. Or...
0: Gambon was right. He was the right side. He was a big physical yeah. man who could stand still yes. if he needed to. Well,
1: he had that... Phys- I saw him on stage in Arthur Miller's View from the Bridge. I saw that too. Did I you? saw that production, okay, yeah. yes. And he'd had that, that literal weight but yeah. also the metaphorical weight. So, obviously, Megra is not a physical... There are no fistfights or gun battles. He doesn't go there. No,
0: but he does intimidate people. He
1: does intimidate. I, I remember
0: a scene in one of them where um, he, <laughs> he 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 makes his sergeant stand on a wall looking through a window all night while Megra goes off to bed. Yes. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do that if no. you were a weedy little bloke, would you? That's a
1: good point, I thought he was the best. And there. Were, and also, that series is interesting now to look at because it's full of people like Michael Sheen, who are now mm. big names, who were then just starting... The so it's very well cast. So of all the non, and it looked nice. It, it, it looks had good. a good production yeah. value. Although in fact it now looks because it's Academy ratio. So we now we see a, that square screen now that always shrieks elderly TV, doesn't it? We're so used mm. to widescreen. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I think of all the non-indigenous ones, that was the
0: best. Most recent one, of course, is Rowan Atkinson, which I thought was a disaster.
1: Well, you saw what I said about that, and I the problem was that Rowan Atkinson wanted the gig, he got it. But then he had to say to everyone, "Look, I'm not a comic. I'm activist. not going to be funny. Yeah, I'm not going to be funny." Whereas of course, May Gray It's kind has of like a, John Lennon
0: a, making records with Yoko and saying, "What am I good at?" Well, I won't do that then. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well put. But it it doesn't work at all because uh, uh, Maguire becomes a humourless figure. The way he's played by Rowan Atkinson, He's an acceptable actor, but he's
0: trying too hard not to be Rowan Atkinson. And he do- he doesn't have the presence, doesn't? He doesn't have the physical precedence. I mean, he's marvellous oh, in in the right thing. Yes. But. You you, if you you either have to be able to act big or you have to have the, the, the yes. sheer heft
1: in the first place. Well, I was, a lot of people said to me, oh, I don't, I don't like May Gray. Uh, and that's probably because I don't like Rowan Atkinson. And I would say, well, that's kind of like saying you don't like James Bond because he's played by an actor called Barry Nelson. Do you remember that? Uh, oh, the, very the, first yeah, the very Bond first James in Bond in Casino Royale. So you don't judge the character on whoever's playing him at any given time, do you?
0: yeah you'd hope not. And yet, of course, people do, because they, people think they've read Pride and Prejudice because they saw it on television, yes. don't they? which is um which is a problem for those of us who think books matter.
1: yes, but I sometimes wonder, i, I I'm always pleased to hear when people say that children read. But I hear quite a lot of um bookish types saying that children don't read anymore. So I'm hoping the
0: former is true. Yeah, let's hope the former is true. Well, it, w- with that in mind, finally, I'm going to ask you to nominate one one uh, Maigret and one Roman Dure. Uh, if 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 anybody goes, oh, they're right. I should have read Simonon. Where should they start?
1: Well, as we as we are sp- recording this, the widow Kuduk has not yet appeared, except will appear shortly in, in hardback. So possibly wait for the paperback if you want. Mm-hmm. And for the reasons I've just said, that's. Um, it's an interesting it's a book basically about sex in which the sex is totally non-erotic nobody could ever be aroused by the widow kuduk however graphic it is and the other uh roman Dio is the man who watched trains go by which is about a man's descent into madness and paranoia and criminality and murder
0: well after reading your book that's the next one i'm going to read. yes and then i difficult to say what what, what i would pick
1: i would i'm going to Take the fifth on that because I don't want to pick any one maigre book. Okay, I think they're all. Um, any one book doesn't give you the the idea. Uh, possibly start with uh, Pietra, the Latvian. The, oh, the, the first, first one. Book. Yeah, the very first one. It's a good place to start, but it doesn't tell you everything there is to know about and You might say, "Is that it? Is
0: that really what people are talking about?" You need to persevere. Okay. Well, I think, I think we will, and I'm going to, and you already have. You said you've read about half of them, or yes. you've you reread half of them. Well, I've re- have, have you read all of them at one
1: time? Over the years, I must have read about um, nine-tenths. Crumbs. There are several which i have still to get round to, and that's rather good. Oh, but, yes, you want So know. for years with Thomas Hardy, I kept leaving, because he was always a favourite. I left... Um, the woodlanders mm-hmm. i hadn't read it so i wanted to say one book that i could read but then i'd read them all now you can reread them
0: with me it's graham green i'm graham I've, green, I've got like, one or two that could, i haven't read yet and i'm just saving them up because you don't want to have you don't want to have run out of graham green. well that's interesting green is is in some ways is like simonon he doesn't have been a particularly nice man he didn't <laughs> yeah.
1: treat his love as well but the books are full of human sympathy
0: as as with simonon well barry thank you very much for pointing me to all of that it uh, it was a large pleasure, and and uh, your book is not only a pleasure but very useful, and it is simon The man, the books, the films by Barry Forshaw, and it's twelve pounds ninety nine from Oldcastle Books, which hangs a bargain. Not bad, is it? It's not bad. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Tim. That was Books Podcast presented by Tim Hay. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.